You know, speaking of excitement, you know, when Wendy was, uh, was pregnant with our, our kids, it was always exciting because she had this stuff called false labor where they have, you know, contractions and like we thought, oh, now is now the time? Is the baby coming? Is the baby coming? And, you know, once we even went all the way to the hospital. So at the time we lived in New Salem and we went to the hospital in Northampton. That's like an hour drive. So we, ha- we were extra keyed up and... Um, but some t- you know, we got there and the, the, the labor pains ceased. And I was like, no, it's, it's not time yet. But the thing was is those labor pains didn't make us be like, ah, it's never going to come. Let's not worry about it. They actually made us more ready. And in fact, um, when Isaiah was uh, about to be born, uh, I had to go to, uh, I was going to seminary on the weekends in Northboro, Mass. And I didn't like that because Wendy was due any day. And uh, sure enough, at two in the morning, uh, the, pho- the, the pay phone in the dorm rings. Now, for you younger folks, uh, there's a picture of a pay phone here, I think. <laughs> Put, yeah, so that's what a pay phone looks like. But... So before cell phones, right, I gave Wendy the number to the payphone at the bottom of the dorm, and I was so keyed up that the, the, my um, the seminary uh, colleagues, they said that, because I was on the top bunk, that when the phone rang downstairs, that I jumped out of bed and my legs actually started moving before I even hit the floor. <laughs> Um, because I was, I knew that this could be the time, and sure enough, you know, Wendy said, oh, it, it's time, so I had to meet her at the hospital. Because uh, I drove from Northboro, she was driving from New Salem to uh, Northampton, um, and it was re- that was she really gave birth that time. Um, <laughs> yes, praise God. <laughs> and I, I, I give this illustration because so it is with Jesus returning that we need to be ready because he could return at any time. Now, if you're not a church person or you're not used to this Christianity thing, one of our core convictions is that uh, Jesus will one day return. At the end of the age, Jesus will return. Um, But we don't know the time or the place. Kind of like we would love to know the exact time that someone's going to be born, but, you know, a lot of times before that birth, there's birth pains. And all, but what I want to say today is we look at our scripture, Matthew 24, all is in place for Jesus to return from heaven. Or if that doesn't happen, then very soon you will go meet him. In fact, the, um, the person who drove Wendy to the hospital uh, was Wendy's best friend, Becky, who's now gone to be with the Lord about 10 years ago or so. So Jesus will come again, or we We'll go to meet him, and we need to be ready. That's what today's scripture talks about. We're going through the, the, the book of Matthew. And now, for those of you who um, you know, are here a lot, you know, well, Pastor Joe doesn't really talk about the end times a lot. Well, I talk about the end times when Jesus talks about the end times. And we're in Matthew 24, and guess what Jesus is talking about? The end times. So that's why I get to talk about it. In today's scripture, Matthew 24, and you may want to turn there in your pew Bibles or on your phones, whatever. Yes, the scriptures will be on the screen, but feel free to uh, follow along in whatever method you want to. And Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount of Olives. Okay, he gives the Sermon on the Mount in in chapter 6, but this is more of a, a discourse or a talk about the end times when he's sitting on the Mount of Olives. The context of this scripture 
Last week we talked about there's a lot of conflict with the religious leaders. And Jesus, he enters into Jerusalem and he teaches from the temple after cleansing the temple. And the religious leaders, they try to trap him. And by the end of the week, they'll conspire to kill him. And Jesus pronounces woe upon the religious leaders, and he laments over their destruction and the destruction of, the, of Jerusalem that's coming. And chapter 24 that we look at now continues that theme of destruction, which leads to the disciples asking about the end times. All right, so let me look. So let me, let's read. So Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2. Jesus left the temple and he was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, they will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So the disciples there marveling at the temple. And at that time, the temple in Jerusalem was probably the largest building that they had ever seen. It was magnificent. It was huge. It seemed so permanent. And as the disciples, as they're leaving the temple, they're just in awe of its wonder. And Jesus tells them what seems so magnificent and permanent to us is actually temporary. That these stones will be thrown down. This temple will be destroyed. And that he referred to the destruction of the temple a little bit earlier, too, in, in, um, in chapter 23, verse 28. We talked about that last week. Now, this prophecy is actually fulfilled in 70 A.D. So when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, it's around 30 A.D. Uh, and this prophecy is fulfilled in 70 A.D. when the Romans come and destroy the temple. And it still has not been rebuilt. But as Jesus is talking to the disciples, the disciples don't know that in, you know, 40 years that the temple is going to be destroyed. So they ask a, a very reasonable question in verse 3. I'll read it. It says, as, he, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will all these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Okay, so the disciples are asking a two-part question. The first is, all right, when will the temple be destroyed? When will these things take place that you just said are about to take place? And then the second part of their question is, well, what signs can we expect before the second coming, before you come again, before the end of the age? Because the disciples, they're assuming something that most uh, Jewish people at that time assumed, and that is, wait a minute, if the temple is going to be destroyed, then the end must be here. The end must be coming. Uh, but Jesus, he, in his answer, as we'll see, he lets them know that the temple's destruction is actually separate from and comes before his return at the end of the age. And so let's look. Let's look at Jesus' answer. And I'll be unpacking a lot of stuff here. So you, maybe you'll have to like go on our YouTube page and watch the sermon again because I'm just going to be ah, throwing a lot of info at you. Um, but let's look. At Jesus' answer, Rome, and first I'm going to read Matthew uh, 24, verses 4 through 14. So they ask, hey, when's these things going to be? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. 
Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. So I want us to make sure that we read this scripture without a grid that we put on it. What I mean by that is a lot of times we've heard a lot about the end times, and so we come to the scripture with some, some certain expectations. Sometimes they're valid, sometimes they're not. The disciples came with a certain set of expectations, like, wait a minute, if the temple's going to be destroyed, then you're coming back right after that, right? Jesus says, actually, no. And we know that because the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, and it's a lot later than 70 AD, is it not? I think that's about almost 2,000 years. But the main point of Jesus here, teaching his disciples, I don't know if you noticed a, a word that kept coming back, and that is, a, don't be led astray. Verse 4, he says, so I see to it that no one leads you astray, that false Christs and false saviors will rise up to lead people astray. And then false prophets will come, verse 11, to lead people astray. And later, he'll also mention that again in verse 24. But don't be afraid. And he says, wars and disasters will come, but the end is not yet. And verse 9 through 14, says, before the end comes, you'll be persecuted. There will be a falling away. And the gospel will be preached throughout the world. But these are just, what's that, the birth pains. The end is not yet these, but the, the reminders of the coming reality. But don't be led astray if that reality is, according to our perception, delayed. Because before the second coming, there will be a time, as Jesus says, for all of these preliminary things to happen. Now, why would that perhaps lead the disciples astray? Well, because they're expecting, especially when the temple ends up getting destroyed, that Jesus is going to return immediately. They, they could be led astray because they're perceiving that, all right, maybe I was wrong. Or they might, they might give up and that their love might grow cold. And like, I've been waiting so long and Jesus hasn't returned. Jesus hasn't entered into my situation like I thought. So, yeah, instead of this on fire faith, I'm just going to let it kind of grow cold. And notice Jesus says, many's love will grow cold. Because being ready for Jesus' return, it's not about knowing information. It's about being ready in how we behave, how we act. There are many people who might know all of the details of these end time things, but totally not be ready because they're not loving God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving their neighbors themselves. So our love can grow cold as we think, all right, Jesus hasn't returned like I thought. Or we might give in to the next person who claims to be the Christ. Well, Jesus hasn't returned, and so I'm still looking for a Savior, and someone comes and claims to be that Savior for you, and you can give in. The disciple, that happened with many of those in that time. And it makes sense, because think about it. When Sometimes we want Christ to enter into our situation. We're praying, Jesus, would you enter in, in uh, 
you know, fix my loneliness or would you fix my sickness or would you meet my need? And when, and when he doesn't in the timetable, we think, what do we do? We often run to other saviors. We go astray. So the potential to go astray is there for the first disciples as they wait for his return, as it's delayed. And then remember also that between Jesus' words and Matthew's writing them, okay, so Matthew's gospel was probably written around in the 80s, okay, not the 1980s, but 80, around 80 AD, after the temple was destroyed. But even if it was written before, it's still there's going to be this gap of 30 to 50 years Think about, as Matthew's writing that, the people who are reading this, they're wondering, well, wait a minute, Jesus, he, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, and then he ascended to the right hand of God. That was like 30 or 50 years ago. That was a long time, and there's been wars, there's been famines, there's been false Christs, and he still hasn't returned. And so as Matthew is writing this, he wants to let them know no, no, those are, these, these are, think of these things as birth pains. Not false alarms, but rather they're birth pains in that one day, those birth pains will actually result in, a, in the birth. Okay, that they shouldn't make us be complacent or, or doubtful. They should make us even more ready. And that was especially true because the temple was about to be, was, was going to be destroyed. So let me read that part. In, in chapter 24, verse 15, now Jesus is answering that second part of their question, or the first part of their question about, hey, when are these things going to take place? When's the temple going to be destroyed? He says in verse, verse 15, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in this house, and let the one who is in this field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. So Jesus, he returns to the first part of the disciples' questions. When's this going to happen? When's the temple going to be destroyed? And Jesus says, well, when the abomination of desolation stands in the holy place, stands in the temple, that's going to kick off a time of extreme suffering, which is that's why people in Judea, they're going to want to flee, and the temple's going to be destroyed. Now, for those of you who are thinking, what in the world is the abomination of desolation? Well, the prophet Daniel, who was a prophet of the Old Testament, who wrote centuries before Jesus, he wrote about this abomination of desolation in Daniel 11.31. And notice how Matthew, as he writes his gospel, he enters into the narrative and says, let the reader understand, right? When the abomination of desolation stands in the temple, let the reader understand, right? That, that's, let the reader understand that Daniel's prophecies are being fulfilled. Now, why? Why would he say that? Like, why would he enter in? Well, because a lot of times, prophecies in the Old Testament, they were fulfilled uh, in the near term, but then sometimes they were also fulfilled again. It's sort of a pattern, and so most of the people in Matthew's day, they would have, if you asked them, hey, Daniel's prophecy, the abomination of desolation, wh when was that fulfilled? 
they would have said, well, definitely when Antiochus Epiphanes, the, 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 the Syrian king, in 168 BC, he came and he set up a pagan altar and he um, sacrificed pigs in the temple of the Lord. That's what, that's what they would have said. That, that's when that prophecy was fulfilled. It polluted the temple. And that's what actually kicked off the Maccabean War. And you can read about that in the Apocrypha. But anyways, um, Matthew, he enters into this and he says, all right, let the reader understand that what you saw there, that abomination of desolation, that is going to happen again before the temple's destruction. And, the, and the, those who are listening they would understand that, okay, when Matthew wrote his gospel, that this, this probably happened when the Romans destroyed the temple. It happened either when the zealots murdered people in the temple precinct, or the Romans came right before they destroyed the temple and set up their Roman standards, you know, that eagle thing, and they made sacrifices to it. And you might be thinking, all right, I'm starting to get lost. I don't quite get this. The main point here is Jesus is saying, don't be led astray. These things are going to happen. And don't let your expectations of how that's going to happen keep you or, or, or make you fall away. Follow false Christ. Lose hope. Start to grow cold in your faith because you think, oh, Jesus should have come back and he didn't. Because again, when that temple was destroyed, most thought it was going to be the end. But that present day difficulty would one day culminate in a great tribulation of the end. So let's continue reading. Verse 21. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather." So here, the, the, the present time of difficulty that Jesus is talking about will one day culminate in this great tribulation where the, the birth pains will one day become more intense, but they will actually result in a birth. But during this time of waiting, don't be led astray by false prophets or false Christs. And just like when you see the temple destroyed, you're going to see the same patterns afterwards. In that time, don't be led astray. Now, although being ready is not about information, but how we actually love God and love people, Jesus then says that, but I'm going to give you some information that will help you not be led astray to false Christ. He says his return is going to be obvious. It's going to be big. Again, this is the end of the age, right? As the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And then... In verse 29, he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Okay, this isn't some secret thing happening. This is going to be obvious. 
Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So after this tribulation, there's going to be this signs in heaven. There's a predicted by the Old Testament prophets. The sun will go dark, the heavens will be shaken and all this, and the Son of Man will come with a loud angelic trumpet to his elect people. So this is the second coming. This is the end of the age that Jesus was talking about, that they asked about. All right, so let's pause for a second. Let's look at the picture that Jesus paints about the destruction of the temple. So put up a chart, all right? You know, I, I don't, all right, I'll try to do this quickly. All right, Matthew 24, it gives us this picture. Because I know some of you are like, oh, I'm starting to get lost. Where that Jesus in 30 AD, right, he is there, he is talking to his followers. That is that portion at the end with a cross, right? That the Messiah's advent in ministry, he's speaking, he's talking. And they're asking, when are you going to return? Because they know that he's about to leave. He's going to die and rise again and go to the right hand of heaven. Right, the right hand of God. And they're like, well, okay, when are you going to come back? And they're thinking, well, it's probably going to be with the temples destroyed. The temple is destroyed in 70 AD. But Jesus says, no, that's not the end. In fact, that's gonna, there, there's going to be even more tribulation after that. And there's going to be this present time of tribulation. With that. At the end, it's going to get a little more intense. And then Christ is going to return. And there'll be eternity. Okay, that's the picture we get in Matthew 24. And that's really the important thing. Those are the basics. Those are the things where, as Christians, we look forward to his coming and he's going to uh, judge and restore, and then there's going to be eternity in his presence. And really, that's the main thing that we need to be majoring on. Now, you know, though, that there's all sorts of ideas about the end times, Right? There's chart after chart after chart. We could spend now until five this afternoon, and I could give you each chart for different things of how things are going to happen, right? And one of the reasons is that not only does Matthew 24 talk about the end times, but also the um, book of Revelation, right? That talks a lot about the end times. And if we add Revelation into there, put up the next uh, slide, right, we... We get this, all right, there's a great tribulation, but then there's this thousand-year reign where Jesus gathers up his people, and then he, they reign with him for a thousand years, and then comes the time. So it gets even more confusing. So notice in red, there is, you might not be able to read it, but there's tribulation, and then there's the millennial kingdom, the thousand years. And you might see on top, it says premillennial post-tribulation view. A lot of people talk about different end time stuff and you'll know those two terms are used a lot and that's where most of the confusion is about right because some people when it comes to the tribulation when you know when will jesus come in relation to the tribulation that's what that word means this says all right post tribulation there'll be tribulation and then jesus will come but then there's also questions about well that thousand year reign when will jesus come for that and is there even a thousand year reign because some people think it's just symbolic all right, put up the next chart. All right, and so some people say, oh, okay, well, Jesus, this is the, the premillennial, pre-tribulation view, so that, that there's going to be this rapture, that Jesus is going to come and br- go, take us up before the tribulation. 
Now, my view is the first, right? Is Jesus will come after the tribulation. But the point is, is that there's lots of different views of how Jesus will return. But let me tell you this, being ready for his return is not about memorizing charts. It's not about even knowing all those fancy theological words, you know, pre-tribulation and amillennial and all that stuff. It's about being ready for his return by living in light of who he is and living in a way that's faithful to him. Like that's the core conviction. The core conviction is Jesus is returning. But secondary issue is, well, how does that look? And so um, always be ready. I think what we get from Matthew 24 is Jesus, he points out that many of the things that um, will be in, uh, that need to be in place by the time Matthew writes his scripture will have already happened. And so be ready, always be ready. Don't be led astray in the waiting. So Jesus, he summarizes. Verse 32, he summarizes this teaching with a lesson from a fig tree. Verse 32, it says, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So to help us understand, to help the disciples understand Jesus, he looks at a fig tree. So now he's going from that image of childbirth to the birth of a new season. And he says, when you see these signs, all the signs he talked about, the tribulations, the war, even the destruction of the temple, know that his return is near. It's like the fig tree. When it gives out new, fig trees don't go around here, but when fig trees start to sprout new leaves, if you know about fig trees, you know, okay, summer is near. That summer is coming. Now, all of the preliminary things that Jesus talked about before Jesus' coming, including the destruction of the temple, they happen by the time of Matthew's writing. That's why Jesus says, this generation will not pass away till all these things take place. All these things, all these things that lead up to the coming of Jesus. And so Matthew's readers, they're supposed to be ready. They're not supposed to think, oh, well, this and this still has to happen because so I don't, I don't need to uh, be ready for Jesus' coming. No, everything is in place. So be ready. So don't be led astray. In fact, the, the, that Jesus, the prophecy he gave about the temple's destruction, it shows that his words are sure. That they may be looking at the temple and thinking, oh, that is so permanent, that's magnificent, that'll never be torn down, but it gets torn down. But Jesus' words, they'll never fail. His words remain because his, through the word of his power, he brought creation into being. Through his word, he sets the times and the days of his return. And that is sure. And just as he's saying, just like you see the, the fig trees starting to put out its leaves, just like when you see all these things happening, it's a sure thing. So Jesus' prophecy about the future of the world until his return, it was surprising. It was surprising to the disciples because it contradicted their expectations, right? 
Jesus points out that, okay, when the temple is destroyed, you know, history is going to continue. More or less, as it's always been, there's going to be a history, there's going to be war, there's going to be famine, there's going to be persecution. And even the, the, the destruction of Jerusalem, the, the destruction of the temple, it's a high point of tribulation for Jesus' disciples and for the Jewish people. But don't be led astray that this delay would somehow mean that Jesus is not who he said he is. That somehow that, uh, you know, you need another savior. You need to run to some other place. Or that we get so tired in the waiting that our love grows cold. You know, for, especially for those of us who've been Christians a long time, I think that's the danger, right? Is that when we first understand who Jesus is, that he truly did rise from the dead and go to the right hand of the Father, we're often usually so excited. And then as we live life and go through tribulations, or we see things in this world, our love can start to grow whole. We can start to give up. But Jesus, he's here, he's saying, no, every tribulation, every difficult thing that you see in the world, it is a birth pain, meaning that it signals, yes, one day he will return. In the meantime, don't let your love grow cold. In the meantime, you do have a purpose and a power beyond yourself. So in Matthew 28, right, right at the end of his gospel, and we'll get there someday, Jesus says this in the Great Commission. He says, go therefore, so the risen Jesus, he sees his disciples, he's about to ascend to heaven. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So it's not, Jesus is not saying, okay, there's going to be continual tribulation and stuff, and it's not going to happen like you, you know, it's going to happen like you didn't expect it because um, everything's the same. No, that when Jesus rose from the dead, he changed everything. He won victory. And now we have a power and a purpose beyond ourselves. That Jesus then says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And in the book of Acts, we see people are filled with the Holy Spirit and they're empowered to go to the ends of the earth, proclaiming that Jesus has won the victory, that Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the dead and now his kingdom is expanding throughout the earth and he's inviting every single person to be a part of his kingdom. And so there is a purpose beyond ourselves that yes, Jesus is going to return, but in his grace, he is waiting so that more and more people from out, throughout the globe, and we just talked about this in our engage month, will come to know him so that when he does return, it's not just a small 11 disciples who, were, um, who stayed true to him, but it's myriads and myriads of people who have been filled with his spirit and filled with a power and purpose beyond themselves. Friends, Jesus, he doesn't work on our timetable. Even if we get a timetable, we make a chart, and we think, oh, well, Jesus is not going to return because this and this has to be in place. He can return any time. But his promise of return is sure. So don't give up. Don't run to other saviors in the waiting. Don't think it seems so long. It's been 2,000 years because Jesus, his, his waiting is because of his grace. He wants more and more people to come to know him before he returns. And so 2 Peter 3, verse 8, Peter says this. 
Because people were wondering, hey, why is he delaying? Why hasn't Jesus returned? The temple's been destroyed. All of these things are happening that were supposed to happen, but he hasn't returned. This is what Jesus, but, but Peter says in 2 Peter 3, verse 8, he says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works and all that are done on it will be exposed. As promised, Jesus will return, but it's in his time. It's in his time. He is the Lord of time. And so don't be led astray during this time. Don't, as we wait, and I understand that many of you, and I'm included in this, we want Jesus to return. We want justice, especially when we see so much injustice in this world. We want Jesus to come and establish his kingdom fully and finally. And yet, he calls us to say, you know, I want you to extend my kingdom before I come back. I'm being patient because there's other people who need to step into that kingdom. There's other people who need to know who I am. There's other people who need to, to step into that eternity that I've prepared for them. And so he gives us that charge to go throughout the world and to share God's love. And we do that, yes, with our words, but also how we live. That's how we're ready. Again, we're not ready because we know charts. We're ready because we love God and love people and we seek to expand his kingdom to everybody we come in contact with. And so that's the invitation to each one of us today is that, yes, Jesus is going to return, but the fact that he hasn't, it's not because he doesn't care. It's not because he doesn't have a plan, but rather he has a plan and it's full of love and he wants you to enter into the kingdom today. And so if you don't know Jesus, put your trust in him. And if you do, let's stop letting our love grow cold. And let's start loving God well and loving people. And so doing, we're going to be advancing his kingdom as we look forward to that day when he returns and we can celebrate with him in eternity. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, we come before you and... Lord, I know there's, a, there's lots of stuff I just said, but um, God, Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd move about this place, that as we are about to go into the Lord's Supper, that we do so remembering your death on the cross. And Lord, that you won victory, not by returning and destroying everything, but by first coming and serving giving your life as a true display of love. Lord, help us to understand that so that we can then show love to others. Lord, help us to not go astray. Help us to major on the major things, Lord, loving you and loving people so that we can be ready when you return, that we can expand your kingdom and all that it means throughout this world because you want us to be a part of it. And we thank you, Lord. Work in us, work through us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.